Hi, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name is Isabel Ross, and I am the coach at Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 88 is a third interview with the brilliant and prolific author, Matt Fitzgerald. Last time I interviewed him about his book, How Bad Do You Want It?, which discusses the mindsets required for running well. This interview focuses on his latest book, The Comeback Quotient, a get real guide to building mental fitness in sport and life. I'll read you the online description of his book. A good comeback makes a great story. In the Comeback Quotient, sports journalist Matt shares the stories of top athletic comebacks to give you inspiration and tools for your own comeback in sport or life. Every sport fan loves a great comeback. Is there a special quality shared by top athletes who triumph over great challenges? And can anyone acquire it? In the Comeback Quotient, Matt supplies the answer to both questions. He identifies these mega achievers of astounding athletic comebacks as ultra-realists. Men and women who succeed where others fail by fully accepting, embracing and addressing the reality of their situations. From ultra-runners like Rob Carr to triathletes like Marinda Carfrey to rowers, skiers, cyclists and runners all over the world, Fitzgerald highlights and speculates on what on just what makes this comeback so compelling. As for whether anyone can stage his or her own great comeback, the answer is a resounding yes. Anyone can become an ultra-realist to some degree. In the tradition of how bad do you want it, the comeback quotient combines gripping sports stories with mind-blowing science to deliver a book that will forever change how you perceive the challenges that you face, giving you the inspiration and the tools to make the next great comeback you witness your own. I certainly feel that that was a great description of the book and I sure loved it. So I hope you really enjoy the, the podcast as well as it gives lots of insights into the book. Are injuries or persistent niggles ruining your enjoyment of running and hindering your performance? Get on top of these now so that you can get back to the pure joy that is running. Come in and see the specialists at Health and High Performance where they utilise the latest in technology and experience to help you get back to your running best. Head to healthhp.com.au forward slash run to book an appointment and get back to feeling how good it feels to run without pain or discomfort. You can also find them on Instagram, of course, at Health High Performance. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I do really appreciate the people who take the time out of their day to get onto Apple Podcasts to rate and review. I read all of the reviews and they sure do inspire me to keep working on it. <clears throat> Running on a cattle station gave five stars and says, love the Maggie Gutterall podcast. Listen to it on my long run today. She sounds so relatable. It was really interesting to hear about her different racing experiences with Biggs and Barkley. Thanks so much for that. I'm glad you enjoyed that podcast. I sure enjoyed recording it. I'm so lucky that I get to talk to all these amazing people. If you enjoy this episode, please do go on over and rate and review. I'm aiming for 100 reviews by Easter this year, which isn't very far away, to be perfectly honest. I'm currently at 40 reviews, so I do need lots of support to get to 100. Thank you. At Peak Endurance Coaching, I coach athletes to run any distance on any surface, be it road, track or trail, from beginners to advanced athletes. If you are interested in a personally tailored training plan, email me, isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au to get the ball rolling. I hope you enjoy this interview with Matt. Hi, Matt, and welcome back to the Peak Endurance Podcast. It's great to be back. Now, last time we chatted, we were discussing your book, How Bad Do You Want It? Uh, you've just put out your latest book, which is a comeback quotient, and that also deals with the mental fitness side of running. Can you tell us why you wrote this book? Certainly. Um, you know, uh, when, when I wrote uh, How Bad Do You Want It? Um, I, I wasn't really able to put everything in there that I wanted to, to put in there. You know, no book can be really all things. Um, and 
uh, for those who have or haven't read it, um, you know, it mixes together, uh, you know, narrative, like true storytelling, like kind of inspirational examples um, of um, well-known athletes or noteworthy athletes who've, you know, faced uh, significant adversity. And then it mixes that in with um, science and psychology so that uh, the stories aren't just cool stories and, and inspiring, but they also have practical value. Uh, but what, what I didn't include in that book was um, a lot of practical guidance, like kind of walking athletes through the process of developing mental fitness. And that's why I wrote Comeback Quotient. So I didn't necessarily have this book in mind, you know, as a sequel, but, uh, you know, a few years have passed and I've, I've learned more. And especially through my coaching, I've, I've developed ways of helping uh, you know, athletes on a, on a one on one by one basis, improve their mental game. And so I wanted to kind of package those thoughts uh, into a book that, you know, is kind of a, a bookend to how bad you want it. Yeah, I, I certainly find it um, a really good follow on from that. Uh, and certainly lots of applicable um, concepts in it as well. So just just for clarity for everyone, how would you define mental fitness, as opposed to say physical fitness? Sure. Um, I define mental fitness, and this is really just my definition. Yeah, um, yeah I, I have the advantage of not being a scientist, so I can make up my own stuff. <laughs> that's, that's great. No, that's perfect. Right. So, yeah, I define it as um, the ability to make the best of a bad situation. Um, and the way I contrast it to physical fitness is that physical fitness allows you to do hard things mental fitness allows you to deal with hard things mm -hmm. uh, and you really need both you know just, you know fit, physical fitness is great but when you when things don't go your way you, you know when you face um, you know extreme challenges or setbacks um just having a lot of physical fitness won't necessarily allow you you know to make the best of those adverse situations I mean, they often say that, don't they? That if you've got two people on the start line and one is really physically fit but mentally not strong and you've got the other person who's fit but not as fit but more mentally strong, the chances on a mentally strong athlete will do better. Would that be correct? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it, uh, the devil's yeah. in the details. <laughs> yes, yes. But, but yeah, for sure. I, I mean, that's, that's absolutely the case. Um, you know, I know that from my own experience and also, you know, what, you know, I guess part of the reason that um, I felt the need to write another book is that there's tons of cool research being done in this area now. Um, you know, for a long time, uh, sports psychology was just its own little fiefdom. Um, you know, it was separate from exercise physiology, but it was also pretty separate from, you know, mainstream psychology or, you know, just like general psychology, I should say. But now all, all of them have kind of merged together. Like, you know, exercise physiologists and, and sports psychologists are talking to each other. Um, but also exercise physiologists, uh, exercise physiologists, easy for me to say, and, <laughs> and, and general psychologists and neuroscientists are talking to each other. You know, the reason a lot of um, general psychologists and neuroscientists are interested in, in um, endurance sports is that endurance sports are kind of a crisis state. Like, you know, when, when you when you test the absolute limits of your uh, physical stamina, you're also testing the limits of your mind and your brain. And that, that's a really interesting 
thing to study because you know psychologists they, they can't necessarily you know you know pull a gun on someone just to see how they'll react <laughs> or you know like start a war you know what i mean like you can't you know the ethical rules of science don't allow um, them to re really uh, create a crisis in, in order to study how um, how the brain functions and how the mind functions in, in those states. But endurance sports are obviously they're not really life and death, but you know you experience it. The, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You, like you, you experience it as a genuine crisis state, um, mm -hmm. and and so yeah, it's cool that you know all this stuff is coming together. And anyway, the point I wanted to make was that. What, one, of, one of the outcomes of this research is that um, scientists have really been able to quantify the performance benefit of being mentally fit. So you gave the example of, you know, two athletes on the start line, one's physically fitter, one's mentally fitter. Now we can actually point to data and say, oh, yeah, like, you know, this is how much, you know, you get X percent benefit um, if you improve this, you know, component of your of your mental fitness, which is pretty cool. Which really makes it... Um even now we know how important it is. I mean, it's always been important, but now we have the evidence to prove that it's important to work on our mental fitness. Yeah, it's easy because it is, you know, you know, psychology is kind of squishy, you know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's not, it's not material. It's not, um, it's not matter. Um, so yeah, there, there have always been those people um, who have been kind of dismissive of it or have just given it lip service. They're like, mm. yeah, yeah, it's important, but, when it comes down to it, they actually don't really put in much effort to to working on their, their mental fitness. And now it's that's that's becoming it's becoming harder and harder to dodge uh, the, the mental component because you know we can see just you know exactly how much performance you're leaving on the table uh, yeah. when you don't take it seriously. Um, and it's I guess it is also one of those things. It's really hard to to do like when you do your training you see that you feel the physical results and you can see physical data whereas when you're working on your mental fitness you're not necessarily seeing or feeling something at the time right and that actually uh you know not to uh fast forward the conversation but that yeah. that that, get, that gets into my approach to mm. uh developing mental fitness because for, for me you know, as a coach, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not a psychologist or a, you know, a, a sports psych, but, you know, as a coach, obviously a lot of yeah. work you do with athletes is on the, the mental side. And, you know, my natural approach has always been, uh, you know, problems are going to come up, like things are going to go wrong. Um, you know, athletes are going to be in bad situations of, you know, infinite varieties. Um, and so those problems need to be solved and they need to be addressed. And so my way of working to develop the, the mental fitness of athletes is just in the context of solving those problems. So it's not mm -hmm. like you have to, you know, make time yeah. outside of your training to work on your mental fitness. That, that would make it um, a non-starter, frankly, for you know, athletes who are only like halfway convinced that it's worth yeah. their time. Not, not to say that, you know, th there aren't worthwhile exercises that you can do, you know, like journaling or mindfulness meditation and that kind of stuff. But that's not my approach. My, you know, m and my approach is the problems are going to come up. You need to solve them anyway. And if you, if you go about, if you approach the problem solving process in the right way, over time, you will develop your, your mental fitness in a coherent way. Um, and I just find that, you know, efficient and, and practical. Yes, no, I would agree. So, um, 
let's just say we have an athlete and they're faced with a bad turn of events during their, their event. So what are the different possible reactions that, as to how an athlete might um, deal with something that's come up in their race? So, um, you know, in my experience, it's, uh, yeah, I guess I'll flip it around and, and, yeah. and, and say that, you know, it, it, it's been my observation that athletes who succeed in making the best of a bad situation, you know, whatever the specifics are, um, they do so by fully facing the reality of it. Um, you know, that is, that's, that's how it's done. Like that, that's how mental fitness operates, you know, something goes wrong, then what, like, you know, what do these people do so much in, in sports psychology focuses on like the qualities that, that, you know, these athletes have like, you know, optimism or confidence or resilience. I, I just, I don't find it all that useful because like, how do you emulate a quality? Like mm. I, I, I've, I've been much more interested in seeing like, you know, what are, what are the steps they're taking? Like, because that, that you can, you can copy it's sort of like the, the fake it till you make it <laughs> uh, idea. It's like you can, you can still, even if you don't have the confidence or the optimism or the resilience or whatever that someone uh, else has, you can, you can emulate what they do um, when things go wrong and that and kind of bootstrap your way to greater mental fitness that way. So, you know, what, what the athletes who aren't as mentally fit do, um, you know, when the SHIT hits the fan is, uh, you know, they, they fail to face reality. And there, there are three steps to that process. And I guess we'll probably get into them, but you can trip at any one of those uh, hurdles, uh, you know, any, any one of those three steps, you could, you could succeed in taking the first one in the process of facing reality and then fail to take the second. You can, you could take the first and the second and fail to take the third. Uh, the first is acceptance. Um, you, you, you can't solve a problem that you don't accept as a, as a problem. And, you know, I see that a lot in, in as a coach, you know, is that, you know, when things go wrong, especially if it's in a, you know, a, you know, a blindsiding type of way, like an unexpected adverse uh, event, um, there's a dip difficulty in accepting the reality of what's happening. Yep. And so, and what's the second one? Second one is, um, embracing the, the reality that you've just accepted so you know i i really i find that um that expression you know when life gives you lemons uh make lemonade it, it's instructive i mean it's kind of goofy because we've all heard it many times <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly what that you know that um aphorism is all about um you know just you know, the, the lemons you've been handed is a bad situation. You know, something that you didn't want lemons. You wanted oranges or, or something else. So, you know, accepting reality is admitting that you've been handed lemons. So you, you neither deny it and say, oh, no, I, you know, everything's fine. Or, you know, pa really panic is a form of denial. Mm. Like, this can't be happening. Yes. <laughs> um, and then the opposite of that, another way, another way of failing to accept reality is catastrophizing, what psychologists call catastrophizing. And that's when you make it out to be more than it is. Like, like you, it, it, it's, you know, you've been given lemons, but they're only lemons. But some people will make it like the end of the world. You yeah. know, they'll turn uh, the proverbial molehill in, into a mountain. Um, so you need to avoid both denial and catastrophizing when something goes wrong. That's acceptance. And then the next step is embracing the reality and, and 
embracing it sounds like you're trying to convince yourself that you're glad things went wrong. That's not, that's not what embracing a difficult reality is. It just means that you commit to making the best of the situation. So you've, you've admitted, you know, cause one thing that can happen if you've, if you've at least accepted that things have gone wrong, that can lead to resignation. It's like, mm -hmm. what's the point? You know, it's like, I didn't, you know, I didn't want this to happen and my day is ruined. I give up. Um, but uh, the ultra realists, as I call, call them, the, the masters of facing reality, they don't do that. They first, they're, they're, you know, everyone, everyone is disappointed when things go wrong, right? That's just human. So, mm -hmm. but what the, what the ultra realists do is they quickly pivot from wishing it hadn't happened to accepting that it's happened and then to saying, well, let's see what I can do. You know, like, you know, maybe my, my, my original goal is out the window or, you know, maybe it's going to take a little while for me to get my health back. But like, you know, what's the best that I can make of this situation in, in the, um, in the, our lemonade, lemons to lemonade analogy, embracing reality is deciding, you know what, I'm going to make something of these lemons. Uh, Preferably lemonade because who doesn't like lemonade? <laughs> <laughs> who indeed, especially during an ultra. So, so let's just say we'll look at a, an example of, of what often happens in ultras is let's just say an, a runner goes off course and they, they do a few extra kilometers or miles before, before they realize and then they have to turn around and go back and they've lost, let's say, half an hour. You know, and a common reaction is, oh, my God, that's it. My race is ruined or, or the, you know, what's the point, that sort of thing. What would be an ultra-realist's um, response to such a thing where they're now got an extra a half an hour of running under their belt, where, which they didn't even need to do? Right. Yeah, you know, I, I, I will say at the outset that kind of one of the things I like about this approach is that it doesn't necessarily dictate um, what you do, uh, all, you know, all, all facing reality is about is doing, is making choices with open eyes and doing what's right for you. So, you know, there are plenty of situations where two, two ultra realists in the same situation will actually make different choices yeah. and both are making the choice that's right for them. So there are, you know, I, I think this point is worth underscoring where, you know, you could go off course in an ultra and end up in uh, danger. You know, you, mm. you could end up, you could like be severely dehydrated and you're, you know, you're having, um, you know, say, you know, symptoms of, of overheating and you might decide to quit. You know, yeah. you might decide to flag down a hiker and say, hey, can I, can I borrow some water? Can I use your cell phone? That, that could be like a, just a really smart, proper thing to do that you won't, you know, kick yourself for later. It's not a matter of like wimping out or, or what have you. Uh, but, you know, outside of those situations, like, yeah, you know, even an ultra realist is going to say, crap, <laughs> you know, I've gone off course, I'm going to have to run a, a, a few extra miles. But that, you know, then they will quickly say, well, I'm not the first person who's ever done this, <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's kind of a classic bad situation. Yeah. And, and then so, you know, that's the acceptance part. Like, it's not trying to say this doesn't suck. It does suck. You know, it's like, you know, you know, if you're, you're tired and, and you know you're going to be out an extra half hour, 45 minutes, but, but you just say, well, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, now let's, I've identified the problem, you know, now, now it's time to solve it. Part of the embracing part of it might be, you know, that's when you say, 
that, that's when you, you decide what does it mean to make the best of this situation? Like it's gone wrong, you know, you know maybe my A goal is out the window, but you know, what does it mean for me to, to make the best of this situation? Like, you know, how do I come out the other side proud of myself, even though, mm -hmm. even though I'm disappointed with, with what happened? And again, that can be a little bit personal. What I, what I do for, for, for myself as an athlete and what I advise a lot of athletes to do, it helps you because you can't necessarily, a lot of these bad situations are surprises by nature. So you, like by definition, then you're, you're not prepared. Yeah. But, but, if you, but if, you, if you go into races with sort of um, an image of your best self or, you know, it's like, you know, Isabel at her best, or Matt at his best, or, 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 or the athlete you aspire to be, um, you know, the future best version of yourself. If you have like a pretty clear vision of who that is, it, it guides you in those situations. And so it might be, uh, you know, when you've gone off course and, and you're disappointed, but you decide to make the best of it, it's like, okay, you know, the qualities that I, that I aspire to as an athlete, and I'm, I'm actually naming you mine, are um, be brave and be smart. Uh, and so I'll start thinking about, okay, like what, what, what will Matt on his very best day do now? Well, he's not going to um, act out of fear. You know, he's, he's going he's gonna to be brave. And that could mean just, you know, you know embracing the extra suffering that, that's going to be involved. Um, but it's also like being smart. Being smart could be, you know, quitting or, you know, like I said, or, you know, asking, flagging down a hike or whatever. Or it could just mean, you know, walking instead of running. Um, yeah. it, it, it also could mean adjusting your, your, your performance goal in an appropriate way. It's like, okay, I went X many you know, kilometers off course. I'm, you know, I'm this far in, uh, you know, what, what's, cause sometimes that can make all the difference. Like you're, you're demoralized, but it's like, okay, well, I'm going to come up with, you know, a goal, a new goal on the fly and challenge yeah. myself um, to achieve it. Um, that, that, you know, that's another way that, uh, and then, you know, the, the third step, which we haven't really gotten to, but I will now, is uh, you know addressing reality, and and that's when like okay you've committed to turning lemons into lemonade. Now you still got to make the lemonade. Yeah. Like that's that's the final step, addressing reality. Um, and then you know then it's just about um, often it entails um, effort. You know it's like you have to make a tremendous effort, and oftentimes you have to do more than it feels like you can. <laughs> um, you know, and that's that's what it's sort of it's a little bit circular because acceptance allows you to do that. You know, there's research showing that acceptance increases pain tolerance. It also wow. increases um, it also increases uh, tolerance for perception of effort, which is what mm -hmm. endurance athletes are really dealing with. So you'll actually be able to go deeper into the pain cave if you accept the suffering that you have to confront. So instead of like hoping it's easy from now you know to the finish line just, you know, accept and embrace that it's going to be hard and that will yeah. allow you to, to dig deeper than, than you would otherwise. And then again, also there, you have to be smart. Like effort is sort of the obvious one. And what you'll see when I see athletes trip at that last hurdle, they, they've accepted it, they've embraced it, but they fail to address it properly. It's because they try to do it all through effort and not also through judgment. Um, yeah. They try to force it. Um, yeah. It's like, like a good example of that would be, you know what, I went three miles off course, but I'm still going to try and achieve <laughs> my original goal. Like, uh, you know, as if, you know, they can just make that time disappear somehow. <laughs> and uh, whereas, you know, what you really want to do is just like, just make 
almost be like um like Lieutenant Spock from the uh, from Star Trek. Like he doesn't feel emotions and can't be ruled by them. It just like like just make like almost like robotic decisions. Like, you know, what's what do I do with my tr nutrition? What do I do with my pacing? What do I do with my navigation? Um, and then, and, and, you know, that, that, and that would me. actually save a lot of energy anyway, because if you're wasting yes. a lot of energy being angry at yourself, that's only going to make things harder anyway. Yes. Yeah, very much so. You mm. know, it's, um, you know, I think I might have even brought this up when, when we spoke the last time. I'm not sure. But uh, uh, an, another exercise that I give athletes to do that helps with this process is pretend it's not you. Pretend mm -hmm. that like the, the athlete who went off course or the athlete who, you know, had something else go wrong is someone like either a friend or an athlete that you coach. And that can help take emotion out of it because you don't really care about that athlete's race as much as you do <laughs> about your own. So you can yep. step back, you can step back and say like, well, here's the smart thing to do <laughs> in this situation and, and, yep. and, and not get ruled by anger or, or disappointment or, or even like, you know, a lot of the times you, you get, um, you start to beat yourself up. Like, yes. if, you know, if you have, if you have low self-confidence, well, a big mistake will like bring that to the fore. Um, so yeah, just, you know, pretend it's, it's, you're, you're giving advice to, to a fellow athlete and, and then actually yeah. apply it to yourself. And, and when you were talking earlier about, you know, practicing this sort of thing in training. So I'm guessing because, you know, bad things happen in training too, like we may have dropped our gels and have no nutrition or something's, you know, got lost, you know, once again, and we're out longer than we thought. So then we use these same concepts within our training. Is that yeah. correct? It, yes, exactly. Um, and it really is like, I mean, it really is conceptual. It, it, you know, it's not so much a grab bag of methodologies, you yeah. know, it, 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 it it's, and I, I like that. I mean, cause I'm, I'm a conceptual person, but it, it uh, for, for me, it's just, it's just, it's very simple. Mm. Um, and it provides a lot of clarity. It's like, you know, when something goes wrong, face the reality in three steps, you know, accept it, embrace it, yeah. address it. Now that it's easier said than done, but if you at least know what the plan is, like what you're trying to achieve, that really is half the battle. Yeah. Um, uh, but there, there are, you know, there are also, you know, techniques that can help you with that. Like, like mantras are, are super helpful because you mm. can sort of have almost like a script in place because let's face it, you know, I, you know, I've, I've been emphasizing that things can go wrong in an infinite variety of ways, but usually it's only just a handful of common ways, you know, like, you know, an injury would be a, 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 like an obvious, probably, you know, or even a bad workout actually mm. um, is probably even more common than an injury. But if you have, and I share a bunch of my favorites, ones I use with myself and athletes I coach, but if you have these little scripts in place that can kind of help take the kind of the reflexive panic, like you, you know, get cut off guard and you just start flailing. Like if you, if you can categorize, oh, this is this type of setback and what's my mantra or, you know, what's one of my top three favorite mantras. So then you just, you just kind of follow the script. Um, mm of that mantra and that can help you you know just you're you're in situ you're like you're not making time separate from your training like you're right there you've got a problem to solve and then um you've got you know tools that you can apply to face the reality and, and would you um suggest even like before your race maybe a week or so before the race going through the different possible scenarios and coming up with different mantras to deal with those or different 
not not even mantras, but different ways of dealing with it, you know, of facing reality in those situations, sort of pre-rehearsing. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I, I collect them generally, you know, because like over time, because not, not all the same tools work equally mm. well, because we all have our different psychological profiles. Like, um, you know, like when I, when I really get deep in the pain cave or just, you know, when I'm really in it, in a race, like I, I start to get all drill sergeant on myself, like tough love, like, and it's harsh, you know, like, you know, <laughs> colorful language. Yeah. And like, you know, like, you know, when I share that with some of the athletes I coach, they're like, you need to be locked up. <laughs> like that is not. Oh, normal. you got me intrigued now. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it works. It works for me. Like, you yeah. know, I just, you know, I beat myself up, but I'm not really beating myself up. I'm just challenging my, myself. Yeah. It, 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 but for other people need to be just, you know, more gentle with themselves. And I am too with myself in, in the right situation. But anyway, so you, you collect these things over time and you figure out what works for you. But also it's helpful to have, um, yeah, like sort of race specific or event specific mm. um, tools ready. Um, like, for example, I, you know, I might have given, given this example in, in the book. Um, but, uh, you know, so in the book, I, I, I practice what I preach. I, I walk the talk. Um, there are many chapters between the main chapters where you see me making a comeback um, yeah. as a triathlete doing my first yeah. Ironman triathlon in 17 years. Um, and when it was like several weeks out, maybe seven, seven weeks out from the race reports came back from the race site that the, the lake that we were going to swim in was like ice cold. Um, and I could see other athletes panicking about yeah. it and, and, and they went straight into wishing mode. It's like, yeah. Oh, I hope we get a heat wave. I hope, and that's like, what, what is that doing? That's, yeah. that's the, the opposite of facing reality. It's like, it's making yourself dependent on things you can't control, which makes mm. absolutely no, no sense at all. Because what, you know, if, if your plan for dealing with a cold lake is to hope it isn't cold, what do you do? <laughs> what, what if you do, what do you do if it is cold? So, you yeah. know, like, because I had this whole, this ultra realism concept in my in the forefront of my mind through this whole process, I, you know, I was very conscious of like not making that mistake. Mm. So instead I, I, I went up there and got in the lake and swam. It was like, it was like just, you know, the race venue was a long drive away. I'm like, I'm just going to get used to the, the yeah. cold. And I did cold showers and I just, I mentally braced for a cold race. I also bought a new wet wetsuit that was warm. Yeah. Like, you know, I took, I did things about it instead of, instead of just, you know, hoping and, and making my, yeah. myself dependent. Mm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so part of the control, the controllables. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, and also, um, you know, I, I like having, you know, like I, I like having a specific theme or mantra for, for each race as well. That can kind of like, like, you know, what do I need? I, I call them lifelines sometimes. Like, you know, when I, like if I get into this race and it gets super hard or things go wrong, like what, what, what am I, what am I going to need? You know, given where I am as an athlete, given what this race means to me, given what mm. can go wrong. And uh, just get to get back to the example of this uh, Ironman. Um, uh, uh, for me, um, uh, the, you know, I'm flanking on what my mantra was for this. I'll circle back to it. It'll, it'll come back to me. I'll look it out. <laughs> 
I know it's in there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> don't, I, you know, actually, you bought me just enough time. It was don't panic. It was That's right. Panic. I remember now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because in, in my first Iron Man, I did. Like when things went wrong, I, I did panic. So that, that was like really sort of my entire mental plan for that race. Like, because everything else was basically physical and mental, you know, like pacing mm -hmm. is really sort of both. Um, but that was, you know, because I knew unexpected things would go wrong. It's an Ironman. You can't yeah. get through it. And, and so yeah, I was just going to be ready. Like whatever it was, I was going to, the first thing I was going to tell myself after I said, dang it, I wish this didn't happen was don't panic. Um, yeah. And it really helped. It really yeah, helped. That's, yeah, that's, that's good. Now, you also talk about um, cognitive bias and how that plays into face and reality. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So, yeah, some of the, some of the relevant psychology is, um, that I, I bring into the book is about how, how we form beliefs. Um, and there's like this kind of, you know, among lay people who don't know a lot of psychology, you know, there's a tendency to think that we form beliefs based on evidence. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, we observe reality, we collect information about reality, and then we form beliefs of, of, about it or create, you know, models. Um, but mostly beliefs actually aren't um, sort of neutral or objective uh, statements about the way the world is. They're actually um, self-serving tools that they're just, believe, we form beliefs that are useful, not beliefs that are true. Sometimes mm -hmm. they're both, sometimes they're useful and halfway true, but all that, all that really matters actually is that they're useful. Mm. So you know, the way our brains work is that, um, I mean, you need to have some kind of model of reality, right? Otherwise you're just, you don't, you don't know how you're gonna get your next meal otherwise. So you have to form beliefs, you have to have them, but um, our, our brains like to form beliefs based on minimal information. So as soon, like think about how quickly you can uh, train a dog to respond to a certain stimulus, right? Um, you know, if like, if, you know, the, the, whole, the whole Pavlovian conditioning, ring a bell, like, you know, they start salivating when they hear the bell ring after, you know, three or four times. Like, so that's belief formation, right? The dog learns very quickly that a ringing bell means a, a treat. And we humans aren't so different <laughs> from our pets. <laughs> Sadly. So, yeah, I know. So, which is, which is fine, you know, because we need to be efficient. We need to, yes. we need to be able to come up with models of reality quickly. But, but the trouble is cognitive, cogn cognitive bias comes in when there tends to be inertia will develop around those beliefs. So once we believe something, we don't want to change our mind about mm. it. So that can become problematic when our belief is no longer useful or, you know, we come up with a belief that was useful then, but yeah. is, is no, is no longer, but we want to hold on to those. Mm. So, you know, so we, we actually look for uh, information in the world that confirms what we already believe. And we tend to tune out information that would tend to change our, our beliefs. Um, and that can get us into trouble because, you know, I talked about accepting, embracing and addressing reality, but you can't even accept a reality that you yeah. don't even see, you know, yes, so you actually right. have to, <laughs> you that's have to just hard. like, right, you do. So you have to just be sort of like a, an open and as neutral an observer as you can be and just curious and, and mm. like, you know, try to try to overcome that natural bias that we all have so that you can continue to learn. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Now, you also talk about, you know, uh, when we're talking about comebacks, coming back from a bad break or a rude awakening. What's the difference between those two? Right. Yeah. So in the book, I talk about like three major. So the strategy is the same. Like no matter what kind of bad situation you find yourself in, um, you want to respond to it by facing the reality. Mm. But different particular approaches um, are, are ten, tend to be more or less required depending on the type or category of of bad mm. break or you know depending on what you're coming back from mm. um and so I, I i talk about three just major categories of of comebacks um the bad break is like the obvious one like when we start talking about comebacks and setbacks and adverse adversity it's the first thing you think of like you know your shoe comes off in the, in the middle of a race or you get injured or you get sick uh, like, you know, some, something goes wrong that uh, is out of your control, like, like terrible weather, um, yeah. all that kind of stuff, like things going wrong that, that are, are not in your control. The rude awakening is actually in a way more common, but it's just more subtle. So we don't tend to think of it when we think of comebacks. The rude awakening is just when uh, like achieving a goal or getting to the end of a process proves to be harder than you thought it was going to be. And in endurance sports, it's always harder than you thought it was going to be. Oh always. yeah, every yeah. time. So yes, so it's just you know that it's just it's almost it's just it's ubiquitous. Like you mm. you are going to have rude, rude awakenings routinely as yeah. an athlete. In fact, you know there's there's research even showing that um, you know like uh, there's a famous quote I think from Frank Shorter, the Olympic uh, gold medalist in the marathon from 1972 for, for the U S uh, someone asked him like, you know, uh, wh when is it okay to run your next marathon after you've run a marathon? And he said, after you've forgotten the last, marathon. <laughs> but that, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a, it's a funny line, but there's actually, you know, it's astute psychology because what, what happens is like w when we run a marathon, we know it hurts. Like yeah. you're, you're right there in it. It hurts. Yeah. Um, but then the further in the back in the rear view mirror, it gets the more you tend to forget how mm. much it hurt. And that's actually what enables you to do it again. <laughs> like when you finish it, you're like, never again. Not yeah. one of, that's one of those. Um, but, but then, you know, enough time goes by and you're like, it wasn't that bad. So, you know, but that, that set, that sets you up for a rude awakening, right? Because yes. guess what? The next one is going to be just as hard. <laughs> yeah. So, so, it, you know, it's just natural, but uh, again, like, so if you know what it is when it happens, then you, that yeah. again is part of the battle is already fought if you, if you kind of know what you're confronting. Yeah, you also, and that's very true, and, and you also talk about self-sabotage, um, and it's probably quite, quite common, but why, firstly, why would we self-sabotage and, and how do we avoid this situation? Yeah, so that's the the third category of comeback, self sabotage, and that's when that's when the bad situation we find ourselves in is of our own making. <laughs> um, and you know, I, in the book, I take pains. You know, I, I point out like self sabotage sounds judgmental, mm. um, but I really just mean it for what it is. Like we yeah. do, as human beings and as athletes, you know, we do create some of our own problems. I mean, just yeah, think sure. about it, like. Like a, like, a, like a super obvious example is procrastination, right? Mm. It's like you put off something you don't want to do um, and then you end up having to pull an all-nighter, you know, to, <laughs> to, to get it done. 
So you asked like, why would we do that to ourselves? Like, well, we're lazy. You know, it's just like you're, you're wired that way. Mm. Um, and that's the case, you know, one of the, I mean, again, this is something that a phenomenon that comes in, in all flavors. Um, but, you know, a very common form of self-sabotage in, uh, in endurance sports is um, turning a small injury into a big one because you, you, you try to push through it. Like mm-hmm. you try to force your way through it unwisely. Um, you know, there's a red flag and you're like, well, I don't have to stop running yeah. and maybe it will just, and actually sometimes you actually get away with it. You Believe do. Me, sometimes. I've been there. Yeah, yes. we all have. Yep. <laughs> yes. And you get away with it just often enough to yeah. cause you to make the same bad decision next time around. But, but that, that's a good example. So it's not self-sabotage in the sense that you're trying to fail or you want to fail or you're afraid to succeed. It's just like, you know, sometimes there's a, there's a conflict, you know, it's like the, the answer is not always obvious or Mm -hmm. in order to achieve a goal, you need to have more than one thing driving you, right? Like, like you, you need to be uh, sort of willing to hurt. Like that's so important as an athlete, but it can't be all that. It has to be balanced by discipline or restraint. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, or, you know, that, that judgment piece again, so sometimes if, if those two things just come out of balance, if you become too reliant on, on you know, hard work or just grinning and bearing it being the solution, yeah. uh, that's, that can lead to self-sabotage. Yeah, sometimes the facing the reality is, is knowing when to back off and, and, and that's the reality. Right, yeah. It's one of those things that, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard. Um, you know, I see this as a coach all the time. Mm. Um, because that's what gets you started is like, you know, you have to be, you have to be tough. You have to mm. be willing to hurt, but, but it, it, that really only gets you so far, but that's the piece that's always in place. Like, yeah. you know, I, I'm always, you know, you coach as well. So you know, this. like yeah. you're much more often putting the brakes on an athlete yes. than you are giving a, a push in the rear end. Um, and that's and I, how th- I sometimes but, think that's a, that's one of the most important roles of the coach is, is for, for that exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're, you're making the decisions that they they can't or won't make for yes. themselves. But, yeah. but I really like to sort of uh, train athletes to be able to make those decisions mm. for yourself because it, because really it, 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 you're actually growing if you get to that yes. point where if you don't need your coach to do it, mm. like, okay, you know, it's fine that you have a coach to keep you from, you know, putting your hand back on the hot burner. <laughs> but, but, but if you can, if you have the ability to do that for yourself, even if you have a coach, you, you will make more good decisions. Yeah. You will avoid more missteps and you will make more progress as an athlete. And, and you see those athletes out there, you know, like I'm talking about, you know, champion le- level mm-hmm. athletes who have no problem taking a day yeah. off. Like they're as yeah. tough as anyone, but you see them knowing when to yeah. give themselves a break, uh, knowing when to live to fight another day. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the important bit is learning how to make those decisions on the fly without someone there to talk about it with as well. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one thing that, you know, if it's hard at first, but mm. I, I encourage athletes to, to get to the point where they take a certain pride in it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, an example of that sort that I love is um, it's from Mark Allen, the legendary triathlete, six, six yeah. time. I'm sorry to give all these examples of triathletes. But, uh, <laughs> That's whatever. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, in the early days of the sport, he, he was in San Diego and that's where like all the pros, like, you know, yeah. it's like, it's a new sport. They all were like, so all the guys who were trying to beat each other to win the, the big races are training with each other mm-hmm. every Pushing day. Pushing each other. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think that worked out? Yeah. You know, like, so well, like every, right. Every workout turned into a race. Yeah. And Mark, uh, Mark saw that early on. Uh, and, and he's like, you know what? Like I'm as competitive as anyone. And like, I can't trust myself not to get you know sucked in if I go, train with these guys every day so what he did is he started doing a lot of his training on his own and he would only train with the group when he had a hard session on the schedule mm. so it was okay to go yeah. hard um and you know so that, that that's a great example where um he he was you know exercising restraint in yeah. order to you know be able to outperform the competition when it actually mattered which was not on a wednesday group bike no. ride <laughs> no, no, no point in leaving your your race out there on the training roads Mm-mm. so is it possible to be an ultra realist and do all the right things and still not have the awesome comeback you were hoping for very much so yes um and and that's you know that's another you know i, I just give people the truth in this book and, and whether whether it's whether it's what you want to hear or not i'm less concerned about that um, and and that's a point i i really try to highlight in, in the book is that um you know ultra realists they they don't define success as achieving a goal they define it as doing the very best they're capable of mm. and the, there's a crucial difference like you need to set goals because they 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 motivate you they stretch you they serve a purpose but the purpose of the goal is just that it's not actually to achieve it like it's nice when you do but that's not it it, you know it has already served its purpose Mm -hmm. if it has motivated you and stretched you to your limit and and the nice thing about having your underlying goal you know the goal that's underneath all of the superficial ones uh what's nice about having that goal being like making the best of, of, of the situation you're presented with is that it makes you no longer dependent on things you can't control. Like, mm. like you might want good weather, but you no longer really care. Like you're not mm. success for you. Isn't dependent on it. Like you might want to, um, you know, make the podium, but you can't control who shows yeah. up. You know, yeah. you know, like, you know, the, you know, the best three athletes of your age and gender in the world could show up to do your race unexpectedly and you could have the race of your life and still not achieve your goal. So if it's all about that, what are you, what are you thinking? Um, yeah. So, so that's just it. And, and also you can have also major setbacks, you know, in the book I talk about, you know, athletes, I tell the stories of athletes who have, have suffered setbacks that they can never overcome, you know, mm. um, I talk about yet another triathlete, off-road triathlete, um, who uh, had this horrific cancer ordeal mm. and, and now competes as a disabled athlete. And, that, and she won a gold medal in the, in the Paralympic Games. Um, and for her, that was making the best of the situation. It wasn't coming all, all the way back. But you talk to these athletes, Jamie Whitmore is the, the, the person I'm, I'm thinking of. Um, 
you know, if you ask her, like, what's the most satisfying thing you've ever done? This is a woman who won a world championship as an able-bodied athlete and won a Paralympic gold medal as a disabled athlete. Mm. She will say the, the latter because I had to stretch myself more. I had to, I had to attain a higher level of mental fitness to do that. And ultimately, that is really more satisfying. Um, you know, winning's nice. Set it, uh, don't get me wrong. Like achieving goals is nice, but really, if you've got that ultra realist mindset, the deepest satisfaction always is knowing, like, wow, like I was, I was more today than I've ever been before. Whether or not I achieved the goal that I, I brought into the, the event. Yeah, and and I agree. And sometimes even um, making the best of a bad situation is is definitely something to be proud of. And not letting it bring yes. you down. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it truly is, and I get it. Like, I mean, it, the thing is, like, I mean, you're, you're supposed to try. You're supposed to want things to go your way. Right? Yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> That's natural. There's nothing wrong with that. No. But yes, exactly. So th there's no way that you can want things to go your way and then not be disappointed when yeah. they don't. Like, that's simply human. Um, but where a lot of people get stuck is that they they can't get beyond that. Mm. It's like, you know, dang it. Like things didn't go my way. And like, that's yeah. it. That's the end of their story. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the ultra realists, you know, the people who have the highest level of mental fitness, they're like, well, actually, you know what? Nothing's really changed. Like I, I was trying to make the best of my situation before things went wrong. And that's still what I'm doing. Mm. It's just like, you know, the reality has changed. The, 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 yeah. the fundamental goal hasn't and yeah you see you know i could give so many examples and uh, you know of you know legendary athletes where their 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 favorite memory from their entire career is a loss not a not yes. a win yeah. and and because of who they were to achieve what they did uh, in difficult circumstances yeah that's right and, and like you say i mean winning a race is also about who else is there at the race and that's not something you can control you could win and there might be no one, no strong competition there. So that's not necessarily any more meaningful than, than just doing the best you can and not necessarily winning. Right. You know, it's just, you know, until you get there, it's hard to appreciate just how liberating it is to no longer be dependent on things you can't control. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not a matter of like lowering the bar and yeah. just trying to be satisfied with less. No, that's no, not no, it at all. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just being very clear about like this is what I can control, this is yeah. what I can't, and like I'm I'm defining success based on the things I, I I can control, and then it's really it's entirely up to you. You can still fail, but only by you know by failing yourself. Yeah. Like for me, you know, if I if I finish a race and I feel like I was not brave or I was not smart, I I'm disappointed. Uh, again, whether or not I got the time I wanted or the, the finished yeah. place I, I wanted because I, you know, I wasn't the athlete I, I wanted to be. So would you um, recommend uh, athletes do like B races to help them practice dealing with those sorts of setbacks? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm a total pragmatist. So, mm. you know, my attitude is like, whatever works. And, and you know, when I, when I engage in problem solving uh, with athletes I coach, um, everything's on the table. Like I tell them like, like, I don't, I don't, I'm not wedded to one possible way of solving this. Like, I just want the solution. Like, 
you know, I, you know, I, I don't care if it's my idea or, or, or your idea. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's, there's an example for, uh, I, I coach an athlete now who, um, she actually has PTSD from like a, a, a traumatic health crisis that actually occurred in a half marathon she did. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, she's still working through it and it affects her in certain ways. And, and one of the problems that she encountered recently in her training is that when I would give her sort of challenging uh, time goals, you know, splits or paces in, in races, like they would intimidate her, even though I knew she could achieve them if they were, if they were going to be very, very hard, if there was, or if, if there was, a, you know, like at least a decent chance in her mind that she would fall short, she would, um, she would kind of choke, you know, she, she would like, it would, it, it would just take all the fun out of it, first of all, because she would, she would be anxious beforehand, and then she would, um, you know, she would just be tight, you know, during the session. So I said, you know what, like, let's try giving you, uh, like, qualitative uh, intensity guidelines for, so everything was like, I knew what I wanted her to do in the workout, but I, I, I gave her guide, guidelines in a way that wouldn't be intimidating for her. And I, I told her, like, here's what's going to happen. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to prescribe the workout in a way that's not going to scare you. And then you're going to end up running exactly the numbers I would have given you. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. And I took her through it afterwards. It's like, okay, let's take a look at what you did. You know, you weren't looking at your watch. You were just going by words instead of numbers. And you ran the numbers I knew you could run. And, and, and that's what she needed. So, you know, it's not all about like, you know, cracking the whip and being hard on athletes. Sometimes it's like treating them with kid gloves and saying, hey, you know what? Like, let's see what you need in this moment. Like, hopefully we'll take the training wheels off, you know, down the road a little bit. But if you need some training wheels right now. Um, so, yeah, like you know, anything like that can be on the table. It requires sometimes a little bit of creativity, actually, like, you know, coming up with something. It's like, hey, let's try this. Yeah. Um, and it won't always work, but, but often it will. Yeah, no, no, I, um, I certainly have been applying um, the, the concepts in my running. I mean, I haven't really done much racing, obviously, but um, in my running at the moment, and I've certainly for myself found it helpful. And I, to be honest, I think it's um, help, helpful concepts, not just for running, but for life as well, especially in these days. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. You know, that's, you know, again, why some of the examples I gave in the book are, they're from setbacks that happened outside of athletics for an athlete. You know, I talk about Rob Crar, you know, champion ultra runner who suffers from major depression. Well, that's not an injury. You know, it's like he would, he would, he would have depression whether he ran or not, but it certainly affects his running. Um, and then you know Jamie Whitmore with the with her cancer. Well, you know that cancer, you know, running didn't cause it. No. Um, so that, you know, yeah, that I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> um, but yes, it also will go the other way. You know, um, you know, if you if you just, you know, if all you care about is running, you don't care about your relationships, you don't care about work. Like it's all it's all <laughs> running. You know, but and if you just if you decide, okay, I want to become an ultra realist so that you know. I can improve as a runner. What you will find is that the, that work that you do bleeds beyond, um, you know, the athletic realm, and that 
despite yourself, you end up becoming <laughs> a better person. Better person. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's and that's a great a great goal for the book, you know. And and I think I I truly believe it achieves it. I was just going to say this is the book that we're talking about, and um, I find it. I love the stories in it because um, it made the book, you know, really relatable because you can always imagine, you know, as an athlete being in similar situations, maybe not the exact ones, but you can sort of understand it more. And it was, it was also great to follow your journey on your travels to your Ironman. So, yeah, thank you for writing that book. It's, it was really great and really helpful. And like I said, certainly for me, it's helped me not just with my running, but also with dealing with the difficulties of life at the moment um so yeah i think it's it's certainly a, a worthwhile raid definitely well i'm glad to hear you say that you know i certainly believe in in the material and that that's yeah. actually part of the reason i wanted to show people show myself practicing it it's just yeah. like yes. yeah i'm not just trying i'm not just trying to sell books here like i yeah. like i believe it i i i believe in this stuff enough to yeah. you know practice it on on myself yeah and I liked it that you said sometimes that even you would find it hard, but you had to remind yourself to, to be the ultra realist as well. It didn't just come naturally. Right. Yes, exactly. So, and, and, and slip ups will, yeah. will, they will happen. That, that's, that's part of the fun though. You know I mean? Yes. Like if you could just wave a magic wand and then it's all perfect. Eh. <laughs> yeah. what would, what, where would be the fun in that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'll um, put a link in the show notes to where people can get the book and, um, and links to you once again. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and, and we really appreciate your time. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye. So what did you think? I love how Matt describes mental fitness as the ability to make the best of a bad situation. Sounds like a lot of what we need to do when things go south in an ultra. I also find it amazing that acceptance increases pain tolerance. I really like that concept. I think you will all find this book amazingly helpful for developing your mental fitness. Check out the Amazon links in the show notes. Next week's podcast is an interview with Ben Lindsay, creator of Solution, an innovative take on dealing with shin splints. If you've ever been plagued with this condition, which I was many years ago when I was racing marathons, tune in to hear the different ways you can manage this injury. Have a great week of training.